listening to the You Flourish Church Podcast, a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, dedicated to helping you flourish in your faith. For more information about our mission and how you can get involved, please visit www.youflourishchurch.org. Good morning. Uh, my name is Kirk. I serve as one of the pastors at You Flourish Church and excited to see so many wonderful faces in the building on this morning, even in the midst of the clock, you know, moving, moving forward on it. So we all lost a little bit of sleep. Uh, but thank God for Jesus. Uh, we're, we're all here. Hey, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, back uh, this week uh, in regards to an a old story I heard about the man with no ears. Anybody heard that one? All right. Well, you're going to get a good one. <laughs> Well, there's this man with no ears. He's actually he's he's interviewing uh, some applicants uh, for a particular job, and and the first applicant comes in, and he asks the applicant, "What's the first thing that you notice about me?" And the applicant says, "Why you have no ears?" And he says, "That's it. Out of here. Send in the next applicant." So he sends in the next applicant, and he asks the applicant. What's the first thing that you notice about me? And he says, why, you have no ears. He said, that's it. Out of here, bring in the next applicant. So the third applicant comes in, and he asks him, what's the first thing that you notice about me? And he says, you don't wear any glasses. He says, well, how did you know I didn't wear any glasses? He says, because you don't have any ears to hold them. (laughs) So he said, that's it. Out of here. Uh, subsequently, the man with no ears continued to ask a question, knowing that there would be some answers that would agitate him, regardless of the truth. Similarly, in today's passage, Paul continues to ask questions, knowing the answers he provided would agitate some, regardless of the truth. Uh, we're going to pick up uh, today in, in chapter 3, and there's Three more rhetorical questions uh, that's asked by Paul, uh, and that is, uh, can we express any boasting? And number two, is God the God of exclusivity? And number three, do we extinguish, do we extinguish the law by faith? Uh, if your Bibles are open, we're going to be picking up in chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, but before we go there, maybe we go to the Lord in prayer. Um, God, you are good. We love you. Uh, We thank you for your mercy, for your grace, your love, your kindness. God, we pray above all that you would speak. And God, we pray that you will anoint our ears to hear everything it is that you speak. And God, we pray that you will anoint our hearts to apply all that you speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And again, picking up in Romans 3, beginning in the 20th verse, and it reads, For by works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works. No, but by the law of faith. If you're following along, I want to bring to your attention in verse 27 and I have you to highlight then what becomes of our boasting. Uh, so, So here we pick up uh, where I finished off last week. And so, so after declaring that, that no one in the entire world was righteous based on works of the law, in verse 20, he cements his point declaring that no one will be justified in the sight of God based on the deeds of the law. And he provides his reasoning saying, though the law, through the law, only comes the knowledge of sin. So there's some limitations based on the law because he says through the law, only thing that comes through the law is my, my, my knowledge of sin. And here's the thing that, that really that's, that's interesting because he says that no one will be justified in the sight of God based on the deeds of the law. So no matter what you do, no matter how good you try to be, and no, no, no matter how much goodness you think that you have, he says, no one would be justified by the deeds of the law. And I love his language because he, he uses an all-inclusive language. What do I mean by that? Because he says, no one. He didn't say no one except just a few. He says, absolutely no one. Who's that include? Well, that includes everybody. And, and, and so his listeners may have asked, if, if the law only brings me knowledge of sin, then where does that leave me with God? Because let's think about this for a moment. His listeners are people that have spent their entire lives following the law. This is what, what the relationship with God was based off. And now all of a sudden, Paul is coming with this, this message that goes counter to everything that they believed in, everything that they had always been taught. And so if the law does not bring me salvation, if it only brings me the knowledge of sin, then where does that leave us with God? And this is where I like to say, thank the Lord for Jesus. Because in, in verse 21, Paul, he provides an answer saying, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And again, very difficult for some of the ears that was listening, at least for one of the groups of the people that was listening. But for, the, for, for those that had been on the outside for quite some time, it probably sounded like good news. Because now all of a sudden, seems as if the rules of the game is changing. The rules of the game is changing. He says, so, so, so uh, the righteousness of God, it does not happen by you obeying a bunch of rules and by you having spiritual disciplines. And, uh, but he says the righteousness of God happens apart from the law. So what does that mean? In so many ways, again, this is great news, but not so much to some of the original list listeners. This was absolutely a foreign concept so much so that that Paul he connects the old covenant with the new covenant in verse 22 by saying the prophets of old bear witness to look at what it says the righteousness of God through faith and Jesus Christ for all who believe 
So Paul, he points them back to what it was that they knew. They knew the law. And so, so he's taking a, a, a group of people that had embraced the law and had, had operated and trying to follow the rules. He connects them back to the old covenant. And he says, this is not something new that I'm putting out to you. It says the prophets and the law is spoke to a time where salvation would come through a Messiah. It spoke of a time and it pointed to Jesus where salvation would come through a savior because guess what? You know, the repeated sacrifices weren't good enough. It had to continue to keep happening. The priest had to continue to make uh, uh, sacrifices for the sins of the people. And, and, and so again, uh, Paul, he, he's, he's introducing a foreign concept to many of his listeners. But here's the thing. Righteousness cannot be earned. It is only acquired through faith in Jesus. This may rub some people even today the wrong way. Because in in many sects of of Christian society, we've been told there are some rules that you have to follow. Every denomination has a set of rules that you have to follow. Every sect of Christianity has a set of rules that you have to follow. But, but here's the thing, and this is the beauty uh, 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 of Jesus. He says that it's only acquired through faith in Jesus. So, so what does this mean? This means this really has absolutely nothing to do with you and your works. It has nothing to do about what you've done and what you've accomplished and how good you were and all of the things that you've been delivered from. Well, that's good and it's fine and it's dandy. It's not the thing that brings salvation. What brings salvation is not what you've done for yourself, but it's about what Jesus has done for you. And ladies and gentlemen, when we can begin to start embracing that whole entire concept, we will no longer look at other people and frown up. We will no longer judge other people because they sin differently than us. We will no longer have this self-righteous concept Why? Because it's not based on what we've done. And again, foreign concept for many of the people that that, that Paul was speaking to. And, and, And understand that these are glorious words as we go from judgment in verse 20 to justification through faith in Jesus in verse 22. So in verse 20, we hear the bad news of judgment, but two verses later, all of a sudden, there's this this good news that there's justification by faith through Jesus. And just in case some thought their good deeds would lead to justification, in verse 22, Paul says, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all. I'm I'm sorry, in verse 23, I'm sorry. Uh, Verse 23, it says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. And again, I love this, this language of an all-inclusive uh, uh, statement because he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory. And I once heard somebody say, well, well he's saying, I'm not, that don't mean that I'm a sinner today. That means that I, I used to be a sinner. It says sinned in past tense. But guess what? In present tense, he says all fall short. He didn't say all fail short. 
of the glory. He says, all fall short of the glory of God in present tense. And if you don't think that's enough, you, you got to go to 1 John 1 and 8 where he says, if you say that you are without sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Now, I know sometimes, you know, church folks don't want to believe that they got sin in their life. Uh, you know, you, you know that, that was a big, the big, big argument when, uh, uh, what was the name of the song? We Fall Down, but <laughs> uh, uh, Donnie McClurkin. Yeah, there was a lot, lot of Christians didn't like that. We ain't no sinners who fell down and got back up. Now, I ain't no sin in my life. And, and all of a sudden, you, you began to hear all this, this, this entire mindset. Now, it's, it's a beautiful thing if you're no longer like you used to be. It's a beautiful thing. But for anyone to think they are without sin is a mistake. And, 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 and what it does is, is, is it begins to eliminate our need and our knowledge of knowing that we need grace every single day. It's the reason why I think it's so difficult for people in the church to give grace. It's, it, 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 we find it difficult to give grace because we don't realize that we're receiving it every single day. And when you realize that you're receiving this, this unmerited grace, this unmerited favor every single day, when people cross you, you, I can't help but to give people grace because I can't tell you how many times I cross Jesus. We've got to recognize where we fall short. And, and, and Paul, he, he lets it be known. He says, everyone have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Subsequently, Paul, he follows up the bad news in verse 23 that everyone has, has, has fallen short, everyone has sinned, but, but he follows it up with some pretty good news in, in verse 24. In, in verse 24, he says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Y'all, it's, get, it's getting better. You know how we, we, we started out in verse 1 and, and, it, and it seemed like Paul was just attacking one group of people. Then all of a sudden he pulled out this Uzi and he started hitting everybody. And in chapter 2, he continues to go on to tell man about how bad his situation is, how bad his circumstance is. But now what we see in chapter 3, Paul is giving us an antidote to the sickness of man. And in the antidote, he says, man, we're justified by grace as a gift. And this is a beautiful thing. As a gift, I don't have to earn it. I, I, I don't have to be good. I, 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 I don't have to be pleasing. He just gives us grace simply because he loves us. And the good news in verse 24 tells us that all are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus. There's something to be said about, about this, this redemption. In other words, this, this universal application of sin is answered by a universal offer of justification by God's grace. And ladies and gentlemen, there's no righteousness apart from redemption in Christ. And let me just tell you that redemption means that it signifies that a cost is associated with being redeemed. That there's a cost associated that, 
that you can't pay, that, that I can't pay. And this is the redeeming work of Jesus Christ because everything that we fell short from, all of the sin that was in our life, a debt had to be paid that Jesus would be willing to come off his throne and to suffer a torturous death to pay for the sins of the world, for my sins and for your sins. And, and I began to think about it a little bit. I, I was reminded of this story about the little boy who made a boat and he took his time crafting his boat and you know he's painting it and meticulously putting it to, together because he couldn't wait to, to go sell it and once he got his boat together he went out into the lake and he began to sail his little toy boat and all of a sudden the wind took his boat away and he ended up losing his boat one day as he's walking down the street he walks past the pawn shop and he sees his boat in the window. It's a little beat up now. The paint is a little rough. And he ran home, emptied out all of his little piggy banks. It's the price of about $10 for his little boat. He scrounged up enough money to go get his boat. And he went to the pawn shop and he bought his boat. Then he says, I made you. And I twice have purchased you. I made you and I purchased you. I bought you back. And think about this. This is Jesus. It's like I made you. Because I made you, I had to buy you back. Because I wasn't going to allow the enemy to take what I made. And so this is a beautiful thing when I begin to think about when he says that no man can snatch you out of my hand. I'm telling you, there's no better place to be than in the hands of Jesus. There's no better place to be. And in verse 25, Paul, he explains the role Jesus plays in the salvation of man, saying in verse 25, he says, whom God put forward as a propitiation. And, and let me just say, propitiation is a, a substitute. A substitute. So, so, so God put forward a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And so there were many in the Old Testament who had believed in the coming Messiah and, 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 and God was passing over former sins that was temporary by the sacrifice of a lamb, of a bullock. But now, by the blood of Jesus, that sacrifice that was made, it's forevermore. He no longer has to pass over sins. He paid for them. This is a beautiful thing because he paid for them yesterday, today, and what you do tomorrow. And I know some people don't like that. I'll be like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, like, wait a minute, but, but today, yesterday, and forevermore. He had to because man could not seem to get it right. And, 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 and so 
Paul, his entire gospel, it centers on Jesus. In verse 26, Paul spreads the best news yet when he says, in verse 26, he says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So not only is he showing us that he's just, but he's like also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And consequently, verse 27, it brings us to the key rhetorical question posed in this section of of the passage, asking, then what becomes of our boasting? He says it's excluded. So by what kind of law? By law of works, he says no, but by the law of faith. And so since we are not governed by law of works, but rather of law of faith, ladies and gentlemen, we can't boast in self-righteousness. It's not about how we're living. It's not about what we're doing. None of that has anything to do with salvation. He says there's no boasting because he is the justifier. And so not only did he ask the question, can we express any boasting? His next question is, is God the God of exclusivity? Look at what it says in verse 28. It says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law? Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. If you're following along in verse 29, I have you to highlight, or is God the God of Jews only? And, 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 and here, Paul, he continues to build on, on his message that the status quo is no more. His message thus far has been addressed to both Jew and Gentile, and I would imagine it impacted both ears a little bit, a little bit differently. In verse 28, Paul says, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And again, the ears of the Jews, this was a game changer coming from a Pharisee in the most strict sect of Judaism there was and and his listeners are people whose relationship with God was based on following the rules of God's law now all of a sudden following the rules of God's law would no longer be the basis of the relationship essentially this is why it's important to know that salvation is based on grace through faith alone nothing else through faith alone. And, and, I, and I just got to speak to this because for me, that was, that, was my whole, that was my whole salvation story. I thought God would not dwell in an unclean temple. So I thought I had to clean myself up and to come presentable to God before he would give me salvation. And I would pray and I would pray and I would beg and I would beg and, 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 and God would never seem to come into me and I, I just couldn't understand why. Didn't think that I was good enough. I didn't understand why I didn't line up, why I wasn't considered as all the other people that salvation came to. I just could not seem to get myself right. And the one thing that never made sense to me, is like, if I got to clean myself up in order to come to God to save me, then why do I need him? I can't clean myself up. Ain't that the whole reason? I just thought this guy was so unfair. To one day somebody came and knocked at my door and here I am, a pastor's kid and a stranger knocks at my door to share the gospel with me. And he shows me a passage of scripture I'd never seen in my life. Romans 10 and 9. 
It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. And I argued with him. I argued with him because I'm like, no, you got to do more than that. You got to do more than that. You got to be holy. He said, read it again. And I'm like, no, no, you got you to live right. The spirit won't dwell in an unclean temple. He said, read it again. And he kept making me read it. And he left. And I tossed and I turned all that night because I couldn't understand what I had heard. And what I'm reading seems to be in conflict with one another. And I just couldn't understand, but I came to the conclusion at about 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, man, if that's true, and I've been saved since I was eight years old. And I began to cry like a baby because I lived my entire life on the outside. All of a sudden, it made sense to me why the bullet went past my head. All of a sudden, it made sense to me why my friends end up being murdered and going to prison. And, and God continued to have love compassion and to show me grace and so when you began to understand that it's not about you that you can come right where you are even if you ain't all put together that you can come to God and, and, and trust that that salvation it comes it comes through him He's not an exclusive God. And, and, and this was the thing. It's just through faith alone. And, and this may have sounded like heresy to some of the Jews that, that God could be had by anybody. Imagine being told today that, 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 that faith in Jesus was no longer the way to God. There's a new way. Well, this is kind of what the ears of the Jews was hearing because all of a sudden you're talking about destroying my entire basis of my relationship with God and you're telling me my relationship with God can now be had by anybody? We've been God's chosen people and now you're telling me anybody can have what I have? But let me say this, that the works of the law has not disappeared but rather Jesus fulfilling it by being sinless. Jesus, he fulfilled the law by being sinless. This is why it's, it's so important. In, in Hebrews 4 and 15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Ladies and gentlemen, he fulfills the entire law. Therefore, since our sinless high priest has fulfilled the law for us, our justification comes from faith in Jesus alone. So God no longer looks at Kurt, but he looks at the sinless Jesus who lives in Kurt. All of a sudden, it's not Kurt's righteousness, it's not Kurt's perfection that he sees, but, but he sees the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus that lives down on the inside. And, 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 and consequently, in light of the rules of salvation changing, Paul rhetorically asks, is God the God of the Jews only? All of a sudden, he, he's got to be shared with the world. And the law, it belonged to the Jews, and the invitation to outsiders felt like being violated. Let me just say, you know, I got some idiosyncrasies in my life. One of the idiosyncrasies I have is like, I, you know, this is just some things I don't like being violated. And, and, and Didi and I, we've been married for quite some time, but if she picks up my glass and drinks out of my glass, I'm like, you can just have it. 
Like because it's been violated, it's no longer mine. It's now ours. It's been violated. And so, so the Jews is at this point right now. You're now telling me that you're violating my relationship. It was just us and God. And now you're telling me anybody can have Anybody can have them. And so while the Jews is listening and they're probably, probably a little upset, the Gentiles are listening and they're like, man, this is amazing. This is amazing because now we can be in- included. Subsequently, Paul goes on to ask, is God not the God of Gentiles also? Says he, he answers yes of the Gentiles also. So let me just say that we don't get to have a patent on God. Some people act like they got a patent on God. Like he's only the God of our tribe. That's why, you know, and everybody got a theology of them. You know, whether, you know, Lutheran, Catholics, Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, you go, the list goes on and on. And everybody operates as if they got a patent on God. And, and this was the, the Jews at this, at this point in time. They really didn't want to share their God. But Paul is saying now all of a sudden, and again, he's a Pharisee that comes from the strictest sect of Judaism of them all. But now he's saying he is the God of Gentiles also. Why is it that he's the God of the Gentiles also? Because you guys failed in keeping the law. God gave you the law and you fail time and time again. In the wilderness, you fail time and time again. He had to wait for generations to die off in order to continue a relationship with you. And so so you tried the law, but you failed at it. So now I'm bringing my son Jesus to pay the price not only for your failures, but for the failures of the entire world. This is why I love God so much because John 3 and 16 says, for God so loved the world. Didn't say that God so loved white people, that he so loved black people, Hispanic people, Asian people. He said, for God so loved the world. This is, I love this all-inclusive language because when he talks about the world, that means it includes me, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not temporary life. It's not conditional life. If it was... That would probably be the language. But it says that it's everlasting life, which is a a beautiful thing. So God is not a God of exclusivity for the entire world. And so not only do we find that does he ask that question, the next question he asks is, do we extinguish the law by faith? That's the next question. Is the law can be thrown away because faith, the law no longer matters because of faith? That's the question he's asking. But in Romans 3 and 30, look at what it says. It says, since God is one who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Look at what it says in verse 31 and go ahead and highlight. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Here, Paul, he declares that God is monotheistic, meaning singular, and meaning that he is like one God of all people. And be that it may, he makes it known in verse 30 that God will justify by faith those who were circumcised and those who were uncircumcised. In other words, those that were chosen, his chosen people, and and those that were not chosen, the Gentile. And and, and there was a huge 
This was a huge point of contention for some Jews because they felt circumcision was necessary for salvation. I mean, they would almost be ready to hang someone if if you told them that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. However, God decided to justify both his chosen people and the outsider the very same way, through faith. He just just simplified the process, and I don't know why people want to make the process more difficult for people to receive salvation, people need to know that they can receive salvation. People need to know that they don't have to be good and perfect in order for God to love them. That God loves you regardless of who you are, regardless of your mess, regardless of your foolishness, regardless of your shortcoming, that God loves you. But yet, somehow, some way, we want to put stumbling blocks in front of people and to make them to earn their way into being good good enough to receive God's love. But this was a complete game changer, leading Paul to ask his final rhetorical question in verse 31. He says, do we overthrow the law by this faith? And this was a major question then. It's still a major question today. Is the law extinct through faith? And first and foremost, let me just say, whether the law has been overthrown or not, It does not bring forth salvation. It never has. And and Paul maintains in in, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. He says, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And, and, And so what is it? It's an even playing field. Grace, it's a gift. A gift means that it's, it's given. It means that I did nothing to earn it. It's, it's, it's been given to me. And, and everyone is on a level playing field. There's no longer a chosen people, people that's higher up on the, uh, in the hierarchy, but, but rather everybody's on the playing field. Let me just say that I, I, I love Southwest. I, I just flew Southwest uh, earlier this week. And the reason why I love Southwest is because, you know, when you, everybody's on an even playing field. Like, you can sit wherever you want to sit. Ain't no first class. You know, because some of them airlines, man, you walk in and you see all them people sitting in first class, and I'm just like, who do you think you are? You ain't better than me. But Southwest, there, there is no first class. Everybody's on the even playing field. Everyone's on, and this is who God is, that everyone's on the same playing field. He has no favors. There is no partiality. He loves everybody. He loves everybody. He loves the world. Ladies and gentlemen, this is good news. This is the good news of the gospel. And unfortunately, so many people will explain the gospel as bad news. I never understood how good the news was when I realized that somebody like me could have salvation. And therefore, if we are saved by grace, what becomes of the law in our works? And Paul, he answers this question in verse 31. 31. He says, by no means do we overthrow the law by faith. He says, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So let me, let me, let me say this. In other words, salvation comes by faith, but upholding the law is sanctification as a manifestation of my salvation. Let, let, me say, let me say that upholding the law is this process of sanctification as a manifestation of my salvation. 
And, and, and so, so, so I don't earn the salvation, the, and I don't keep the law in order to get salvation, but because I do have salvation, the expression of the salvation that I have is manifested in upholding the law. And, and, and this is one of the things. Uh, so faith, it does not kill the law. It fulfills the law through Jesus living in us. And this is what Paul says. In Galatians 5 and 14, this is what makes it so easy. There's 613 commands in the Old Testament law. But in Galatians 5 and 14, look at what Paul says. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Why can't we just simplify it? I... (laughs) Why, why, can't, why can't we just, you know, they would ask Jesus, what is the great commandment? When Jesus told him the great commandment, he says, man, love the Lord with all your God, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus fulfilled all 613, and for the believer, the manifestation of my salvation is simply that I love God with all my heart, all my mind, soul, and strength, that I love my neighbor as myself. That fulfills the law. And so faith doesn't extinguish the law. We uphold the law because we now have salvation. And if you're here today, if you have not received salvation, it's so simple. It's so simple. Romans 10 and 9. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God has raised Jesus from the dead. You shall be saved. Salvation could be yours today. You could have it today. It could be yours. And after you receive it, sanctification is a process. You'll grow every day to the day that you die. Let us pray. God, you're good. We love you. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace, your love, your kindness. God, just pray right now for those who may not know you. God, that you will let them know that salvation could be theirs today. God, they could receive you according to what your word, that they confess being a sinner and believing in their heart that you've raised your son Jesus from the head, dead. God, that, that you would allow salvation to ring true in their life, God. And Father, for those of us that have been struggling, God, uh, with, uh, God, I pray right now, God, that you would just allow the sanctification process to continue to be manifested in our lives, God, that we may be pleasing to you, In all that we do, we know that your son Jesus has fulfilled the law because he lives in us, God. We pray that we can lay our lives down so that he may continue to live. In Jesus' name we pray.